Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. That's the second time it's gone off. Never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those boys. That's... Yeah, <laughs> they have asked for that, really. Uh, you can laugh. I'm the World I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. What are you talking about? What have you done? I managed to stay alive for six years. I'd say it to you, face. I'll say it to you now. I'm down to Anfield and we'll see them, won't we? What are you doing down here, you shiny man? The first thing to let you know straight off the top is that Ken Early is back from holidays. Hi, Ken. Hi, Owen. How are you? I'm good. Murph's here too. Hi, Murph. Hello there, Owen. Hello and welcome to the Second Captain's Football Podcast. Our World Service members missed you last weekend. Did they? Yep, they absolutely did. Particularly when Manchester United put in a risable display in Europe. And you weren't around to comment on it. <laughs> I had to disappoint a few people on Twitter who were waiting patiently for what you had to say. Thomas Delaney has gotten in touch to offer a solution in, this, in case this arises again. I'm pretty sure it's a Danish midfielder playing mm. in the Bundesliga, yeah, yeah. Thomas Delaney. Subject K1000. Hi, lads. I have a potential solution for Ken's inability to comment on Mourinho antics when on holidays. There exists so much commentary from Ken on Mourinho in articles, audio, and even video that you could train a deep neural network similar to AlphaGo to produce <laughs> comments on Mourinho whenever Ken is away. A kind of virtual Ken or robot Ken, the K1000. In fact, the more commentary Ken produces, the better the K1000 will be at reproducing him. This will allow Ken to take longer and more frequent holidays. I'm sure he'll be delighted and won't be at all concerned about being replaced in this way, uh. says Thomas. <laughs> doesn't sound like the kind of thing that would... Pray in your mind, Ken. Mm. Being slowly replaced by a robot. Quickly replaced by yeah. a robot. Uh, that was Did, you're, you're pretty sure the technology already exists. Well, it almost does. Like, you know, you, you see those YouTube clips, which is like, you know, Donald Trump sings Gangster's Paradise or whatever, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's already, I mean, that's, that's, I suppose, just super sophisticated cutting up and sticking together. Mm. But... I think we're getting to the point where you can generate... Uh, Honestly, I think you just input the Manchester United result from the weekend <laughs> and within three minutes, you know, the Ken 1000 would be able to do a pretty good impersonation of the real thing. Probably a good thing Ken wasn't here last week or he may have been tempted into a prize fight with a former middleweight world champion. If someone called you and said, I'll give you three million to get into the ring with somebody, would you do it? No, we've had this conversation <laughs> off air. I had this with Ken once. I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't send him to the ring with you or anyone of your standard for... 10 million, to be honest. Uh, 
Ken, like, Ken you, was a good steak dinner was his uh, <laughs> price by the way so <laughs> yeah, there are different types of people we might be there. able to make that happen now. <laughs> that's Andy Lee we were talking to after <laughs> his retirement last week I think that uh, the conversation I was alluding to was around the time of Mayweather McGregor yeah and we were debating how much it would take how much monetary gain would we need to I may have, uh, under, of I may have undersold you slightly there a good steak dinner is what how you know, with a bottle of wine maybe you're talking <laughs> 70 70 quid should throw in a second bottle of wine. <laughs> Fair enough. But, you know, May, if it was Mayweather, I mean, Andy, Andy's got devastating punching power. Mm-hmm. You know, Mayweather, how hard could he pound on that little head of yours on with his little I'm hands? having a buzz floating around. Anyone wants to not give me a shell? Pretty, pretty hard, unfortunately. Mm. Yeah. I would say, did you have a nice time here in Germany? I was in Austria and Germany. Austria and Germany. Not that there's too much of a difference <laughs> <laughs> between the two. Uh, yeah, so it was very, it was very enjoyable. Very nice. Very cold. I mean, I've, I see all this hype about the, the coming Oh, you've brought the weather snow. witch over here, Ken. Yeah. Well, I'm, from the east. I'm the snow king uh, yeah. after my, uh, my few days away, so uh, not worried. I'm, I've, been, I'm, I've been used to temperatures as low as minus seven over the last little while. You so. were actually calling for a colder winter a number of weeks ago, so you were about to, you wanted more snow. We had a discussion about this a few weeks back. Just, just And seasons. you're about to get your wish, so we'll see how that goes for you in the next few look, days. You know, see, seasons are... Uh, are nice. I suppose maybe if they don't last the whole season, if you just if you just experience it for a few days, this mm. is lovely, mm. uh, and then you can um, go away back to your home country and not have to deal with it anymore. Good to have you back, Ken. I'm looking forward to an extra football podcast during the week. As always, in the World Service, if you're not signed up for that yet, you can do it now on secondcaptains.com. Here's today's report on sport. Well, I suppose this is now some new material for the. Um, the K-1000 algorithm is about to get blown wide open after yesterday, is it, Ked? Yeah, yeah, because uh, after after today, uh, Karen, because... because Does the K-1000 actually have, you know, sort of a trademark change of heart built into the, heart, uh, <laughs> <laughs> into the hardware? Just every a, six months, it just does a February, March U-turn. Yeah, something completely ridiculous. Well, uh, uh, it, turns, it turns out on that, you know, it was a big day... Yesterday, it was a very big game at uh, Old Trafford, not only in terms of the points that was at stake, but also the narratives um, the narratives that were at stake. I mean, because it had been set up the previous day on Saturday, Liverpool beat West Ham 4-1, the most prolific front three in Europe, once again running right. The Fab Three. The Fab, uh, the fab Three. I think it's 56 goals now, which is quite good. With Manu Firmino and, and Salah, um, then on Sunday early afternoon, it looked as though Crystal Palace, who were missing most of their team uh, through injury, were going to get one of the luckiest nils of all time against Tottenham. Uh, you'd seen unbelievable miss by Harry Kane, uh, probably even more stunning miss by Aurier. Yeah, the one where he stood on the ball. Oh, um, I mean, Aurier, I, I felt sorry for Aurier because he's getting criticised a lot now, actually. Um, because he, I mean he kept doing foul throws as well in the game I think he, there was three I mean that's too many foul. one is too many you know what I mean it's it's like what are you what are you doing well football yeah I kind of feel like he, he sort of desperately wants to do well I mean when he missed that chance at the end it was like he he's obviously realised you know oh my god the ball's coming to me I'm going to have a tap in it's happening and then just froze, <laughs> you know. He just had that sort of oh no, and and ended up making a mess of it. Uh, moments later, Harry Kane scores the winner. 
last minute winner by Harry Kane. And so suddenly um, all the pressure is on both Antonio Conte and Jose Mourinho at uh, Old Trafford. Uh, and I'm afraid, Owen, that today, in, if you read the Irish Times, you can see I proclaim, <laughs> I proclaim in the Irish Times today, criticizing Jose Mourinho was Antonio Conte's big mistake. <laughs> now, some top class trolling there. I mean, I don't know if you're going to be able to find out the person responsible for this, but there's some subtle shade <laughs> being thrown your way by your Irish Times colleagues. <laughs> it's a mistake I myself have made. Uh, uh, a few times, uh, more than one occasion, I suppose. But uh, this time, um, this time, I suppose I like like well, get to get to point the finger at Conte. You really did it this time, Conte, um, because once you do get into the point that I was making um, was that once you get as as serious as Conte did in some of the stuff that he was slinging at Mourinho, because it wasn't just like. I don't like this thing that Mourinho did. I don't like that thing that Mourinho did. It was, Mourinho is an incompetent clown. It was, Mourinho produces cinema. He's in the movie business. He's not in the football business, you know? Now a coach needs to have football knowledge. It is not enough to do the cinema. Which is <laughs> like, okay, now you've got to win. Now you, now you have to win because that's like, really going straight to the heart of, you know, I, I, I don't remember anyone else, any other colleague, you know, another person doing the same job saying, this guy doesn't actually have a clue. He's been pulling wool over your eyes for the last 15 years, but he doesn't know what he's doing, which is what Conte did. So in the circumstances, he could have done without losing the game, uh, was all I was saying. Now, uh, there, was, there, there appeared to be an outbreak of peace uh, between them. You know, there was little laughter, exchanges of laughter, a handshake and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, Mourinho did well there. He made it a little awkward for Conte by sidling up to him and making little jokes yeah. and smiling and then putting it all on Conte to react in whatever way Conte chose to. Yeah. Con I think Conte I think, chose to smile along. I think you've, you've put it quite well there, Owen. He made it quite awkward for Conte. Mm -hmm. I still don't know if there's great affection between these. I can't, I can't imagine. You can't say this about Mourinho as a as a fellow manager and not earn his undying undying agent. No, and Mourinho did come back with the match fixing stuff at the time as well. So Oh, it was that Mourinho was Mourinho actually provoked it oh, with, that the, was match, with the, the match, match sorry, with the yeah, match yeah. fixing stuff. Yeah. About the time um but you know it was the uh, in terms of the, the game, it was a much more open game than I thought it was gonna be, which probably had had to do with the fact that it was Chelsea that scored first in the game. Uh, and they were kind of unable to lock it down. It's I mean, it is interesting, though, isn't it, how how much more criticism Mourinho does get than than Conte, for instance, has got this season. I mean, even until quite recently, I would have been saying, you know, Conte is doing a good job in tough circumstances. But now I'm kind of thinking, has Conte sort of taken a wrecking ball to his own team, you know, to to an extent? You know, we saw uh, Morata. Now, I suppose, ironically enough, Conte thought the player he was going to be getting last summer was Lukaku, who was the key player in the team that, you know, defeated the, the key player who made the difference in the game um, for Manchester United. And uh, United thought they were going to be signing Morata. And I guess after the match yesterday, I mean, remember we were talking about it at the beginning of the season. Oh, you know, who's better? They were both scoring a lot of goals. Mm. Uh, you know, in, as the months then wore on, I mean, Morata stopped scoring in September. Um, he got a hat-trick against Stoke. Do you remember his? he scored this lovely hat-trick against Stoke, which was the subject of some... 
some really in-depth Thierry Henry analysis. Yeah, yeah. He uh, ran a, ran one in from that nearly halfway line. Yeah, yeah. but but and Henri broke it down like and, and kind of went like zooming in like you know the the life of insects kind of scale to 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 analyze every tiny little move, every little step that Morata took to get around the defender and to reposition his body and to stroke the ball. And the guy was just, I'm the king of the world. And that was like it. The next, since since September, I think it's five goals that he scored in 26 matches, four in the league. Like, a disaster. Um, Lukaku has also had a poor season. You know, and there's an argument, oh, Lukaku scored, I mean, he scored quite a few goals, 20-odd goals, I can't remember the exact figure. Again, you know, uh, yeah. As, as was remarked on, this is the first time he scored against this side in the top eight. Uh, the first goal he scored against the side in the top eight for Manchester United, um, and he has had that. You know, in, in a lot of their games, he's looked like, "What am I supposed to be doing?" I feel as though the position that he's playing hasn't suited his strengths, because I think he he's a he's a player who wants to be facing, preferably running towards goal, moving towards goal. And too much of the time, he's been standing with his back to goal, kind of, you know, not, you know, laying the ball back to people, and not really able to get into sort of sort of positions where he can show the sort of things that he's good at. And he did manage to do this against Chelsea a couple of times. One of the reasons being that Christensen, who Conte, now here's an example of the difference between Conte and Mourinho. Christensen has been put in. Gary Cahill's been bombed out, just as David Luiz was before uh, before him. Evidently, they reached the point of no return with Conte. He's not prepared to put up with it anymore. Uh, with Louise, I think it's mainly attitude. With Cahill, he's, he's made a few clangers as regards his attitude. He's not as expressive a player as Louise. I don't know how the relationship is with him and Conte, but the fact is he's being left out for a much more inexperienced, although in Conte's opinion, very classy defender, Christensen, he's like, this guy will be at Chelsea for years. This guy will be a Chelsea captain. He actually reminded me, he, he was so insistent in his defense of Christensen who obviously he's being asked about because you're leaving out a senior player to put this to put this guy in. He was so insistent in his defense that he actually reminded me of Villas Boas at Chelsea defending David Luiz years ago when Gary Neville said he was like a, a PlayStation, or he was like, he looked like a a footballer being controlled by a ten year old on PlayStation. That's the way that David Luiz and and Villas Boas said David Luiz will be the best centre half in the world. <clears throat> now, some would say that turned out not to be true. Not you, though. You would say it's true. Well, I don't know if he was ever... Sorry, hold on a second. There's just a lot going on this morning between Mourinho is a genius, David Luiz is by no means the world's best centre-half. It's it's just a lot for well, us to mi- take in. Well, you're misquoting me there. There are some malfunctions in this yeah. prototype of the K1000 <laughs> that we brought in today. Yeah. <laughs> this is the K1000. I want the real Ken. You're misquoting. But, you know, uh, so, so Christian comes in. Christensen then is is sort of directly there when the goal happens, except he fa- Lukaku and he crashed heads together. Lukaku just kept going as though nothing had happened, and Christensen sank to the ground, clutching his head. Oh my god! And then realized that no one was stopping the play for him, so he had to sort of stagger to his feet, stand there. Out of position was bypassed, and they uh, Manchester United score. Um, so what you had there was an example of, well, you had Christensen being unlucky uh, and, you know, the, uh, uh, more avenues perhaps to criticise the coach. But you also had Lukaku showing, you know, fortitude, determination. And 
very much of the kind never showed at any point by Alvaro Morata in the whole game, you know? Morata is probably... You wonder maybe if the if they played... If they each had gone to the club they were originally thinking they would be going to, maybe it would have actually worked out better for both of them. Um, because I think that Morata would be better than Lukaku at doing what Mourinho wants his centre-forward to do, which is to say a lot of playing with back-to-goal. I think Morata's got, a, Morata's got a better touch and all this type of thing. But in terms of knowing what... I mean, there's different ways that you can respond to having a difficult time. You know, as a striker, if you're not scoring a lot, it's going to be difficult. People are going to say, look at this. Um, Lukaku particularly getting to criticise for the clumsiness of his of his touches and the sort of awkwardness of his play. You know, a bit of a Caleb Fowle and he's not that easy on the eye type of situation. But you have to keep going. You know, you have to... And Lukaku basically did this and Murata hasn't. Now, is that... Is, is that uh, how, to, to what extent are the managers responsible for that as well, I wonder? I mean, what, what Conte has done is effectively broken up his own team. Costa, not interested in working with you. I'm going to sign a player. Now he's got a, a centre forward who's kind of the opposite of Costa in a way. Like Costa, no one could question the, his sort of commitment to this. You know, in fact, he was he was too interested in in these types of confrontations. You know, you could say that it distracted him from what he was supposed to be doing. But you know, no one was questioning. Is you know, has he, has he just like balled out of that challenge? This this is the kind of thing that Chelsea supporters are beginning to wonder about Alvaro Morata. And it is, it, it, it may seem, oh, it's, isn't it typical? It's typical English football, you know, uh, um, uh, a striker arrives from Spain and doesn't appreciate being elbowed in the head and sort of looks around with a puzzled look on his face like, I can't believe this is happening to me. And he's the guy who gets criticized, <laughs> you know, right. as opposed to the toxic, the toxic culture, the macho culture, which allows you know, defenders to slam into strikers with impunity. This is why English football it will always be in the dark ages and so on. But the fact is, you have to do what's... You have to kind of show that you're up for it. What's inexplicable, though, is that both of them started the season so well. Morata mm. came in and looked fine. It, it wasn't as though he wasn't getting bashed around in the first few games of the season, and yet he was scoring goals. But the confidence seems to have drained away since then. It has, and you you, you wonder this, this is a, this is I think this does go back to Conte to an extent because it's Conte's job to get these guys playing well. And instead, what Conte has been doing, it seems to me, over the last while, is pointing a finger at them and saying, "You should be playing well." I say, like, "Well, you, we know that." You know, it's a well. Conte is always talking about his hard work, hard work. We must work harder. We you know, we can find excuses. We can say we're tired, we can say we're injured, we can always find an excuse, but you don't win with excuses, you have to work. This is, this is what Conte says, work, work, work. We must work harder, you know? Next week we work even harder, and the week after that we work harder than that. And it's like, okay, that's true, but how do you get them to do it? That's the difficult part of your job. It's not enough just simply to say, we have to work harder. It's like, how do you make people want to work harder? That's the difficult part. How do you motivate them? How do you how do you sort of manipulate them, if for want of a better word, into actually wanting to do this, as opposed to looking around at each other doubtfully? Oh, you know, no, I'm not really sure if I'm if I'm confident in this situation or my teammates. You know, uh, and that sort of doubt that you can see sort of beginning to spread through Chelsea. Who I have to say started the game really well. I mean, William is is an interesting case because he's like currently at Ballon d'Or level. Right, his 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 
the, his performances have been ridiculous for the last <laughs> 10 weeks. And yet, it's been such a miserable he's, period for Chelsea. He's like the reverse bellwether. He's Whenever like a, Willian is playing well, Chelsea are in full. Yeah, are, did are they have that great a, season under Mourinho? Is everyone else is falling apart? Yes, yes. strange. Yeah, yeah. This was the other time when Willian was, was at you know Messi level for for three months. Was that insane period when Chelsea lost nine matches and Mourinho ended up getting sacked? Uh, he just is cursed that all of his very best form happens when things are just all on fire all around him. But uh, I mean, it can't actually. It's not even just unlucky. I mean, there's obviously something going on in Willian's head that, like, I've got thrives to... on chaos. <laughs> I've got to save. Uh, maybe he's just an exaggerated sense of responsibility. I, I don't know what it is. I mean, it's just it just seems unlucky to me that, like, the goal that he scored was so good. You know, it's it's like he did everything. He headed the ball away. He got it and dribbled past players and played a brilliant pass. He then. Burst through the middle. McTominay was was marking Eden Hazard throughout the match. And McTominay was kind of marking William in that move. And what happened was that he, I mean, he, he effectively forgot about William. William ran behind him and scored when Hazard passed the ball through. But, you know, I kind of felt with McTominay, he's like, there's Hazard. My job is to mark him. And made made the wrong decision because he was following instructions rather than, you know, thinking for himself in that in that moment, as a more experienced player might do. So it was kind of he was he was following orders too closely. I think that's how he that's how he let William go. But William done the whole thing from one end of the field to the other, and and then to to score past David De, to score past David De Gea with a shot that's under his arm. Not a lot of people can do. You know, it's it, he usually saves that. So you have to hit that ball pretty well. So great, but obviously uh, things then fell apart for Chelsea. Um, and, you know, at the end of it, Conte is, you know, again talking about wanting to work, wanting to be ready to fight. And it's like, well, you've got to find some way of telling that to your players. It's not. It's like, you know, say you had some player who was like a real, who, who was, you know, a real, like, um, athlete. Uh, and, you know, real quick and all that kind of stuff. But also like to go out drinking all the time. Love booze. And, you, and, you know, how do you get this player to not, to not, do this because clearly if, if he keeps doing it then you know things might be fine for now but after you know a couple of years he's going to be a, a bloated uh, wreck having you know it's all going to be it's all over for him much much sooner than it should have been i mean you can you can sit him down and you can say look you know i've actually got some printouts from the sports science department here's the effect of alcohol on your system it's actually a really you know powerful poison that you're pouring into your body it ruins your health in lots of ways that you don't even feel is happening but you know as a top athlete this is the worst thing that you could do you know what it's a bit like it's a bit like that nice car that you've got outside it's a bit like putting sugar in the in the engine instead of petrol. You know, that's that's something that, that I remember swimming coaches saying. <laughs> <laughs> now, like, yeah. Everybody the guy already knows that. That's all everything you said is true. It's all sensible, it's all rational, and he knows it. But he won't pay any attention. It's like, yeah, I know, but I don't care. The the secret is how do you get that guy to not do it? How well, do you Kevin get him Keegan to had it. To do Kevin it? Keegan did it with Richard Dunn, didn't he? Oh, he Richard he, Dunn wasn't living the right lifestyle, as they say, and Keegan wrapped a load of bags of sugar around him or something like this. So the physically eight, put some eight extra bags weight. of sugar, eight kilos of sugar to uh, simulate the extra, extra weight that yeah. he felt Richard Dunn was hauling around. Yeah, 
and um, kind of demeaning for a professional footballer, but I think it maybe maybe home a little bit that would work. But I, I feel as though that that's the the tough part for a manager. You have to actually find a clever way to make the player want to do the thing that you want him to do, rather than simply telling him this is what you have to do. You have to work harder. You have to not drink. This is football. It's suffering. It's it's struggle. This is the nature of it. And it, and it was for Conte when he was a player. That was his... He he wasn't like a great player. He was like a, you know, I don't want to say Gary Neville, but, you know, a, a kind of a, a hard-working, not ex extravagantly talented player who gave it everything. And he can't understand why other people aren't all like that. But when you've got, like... Some of these guys are ridiculously talented. They don't feel as though... I'm lucky to be playing for a club like Chelsea. You know? They kind of feel like Chelsea are lucky to have me. And this is no fun, by the way. This this should be more fun. You know, this is where I feel maybe he's he's falling down um a little bit. Or he's not really he's not really doing enough as a manager. Amazing that though that happens in just one season on from motivating them to win the league. Well there's also the there's, there is also the having just won the league thing and, and it has been a thing that's happened to all the Premier League teams that have just won the league over the last since twenty twelve, I guess. The last Premier League champions who put up a decent season in the following season were Manchester United in twenty twelve when they only lost the title on the last day on was it goal difference or goal scored? I can't quite remember, but it was a, it was one of those. It was Guerrero's goal. So they were they were there again. They they might have won the league again. But since then, you've had Manchester City. A friend of mine says every season Manchester City won the league. Next next season it's just whiskey and profiteroles. Whiskey and profiteroles from Manchester City. That was them in 2013 and 2015. Uh, Manchester United in 2014 was the Moyes season, a, to a disastrous title defence. Leicester, Chelsea, obviously Mourinho was sacked. Leicester, <laughs> a total disaster. Ranieri was sacked. Um, so maintaining the motivation is difficult, and I and I feel as though this this has shown up some limitations in in Conte's approach. He needs to be cleverer in understanding uh, the players and understanding how to. It's not just enough simply to shout at them and challenge them to to work harder. Yes, that is what they have to do, but. You can't just, if it was as simple as telling them to do it and then they do it, then, you know, he certainly would be getting paid a lot less than he is, you know, and so would they, so would all the managers. Um, so, yeah, obviously, humble, humble Scott McTominay. Did you see his interview after the game? Uh, I saw one of them, I think I saw the match of the day one. Um, he. <laughs> Just very, very uh, humble. A very nice young man. <laughs> I'm just, it was kind of funny to see this player so humble. I mean, so, like, literally can't believe he's this is happening to him. Going, I'm just trying to stay humble. And I'm like, yeah, I, I actually don't think you're going to have a problem with that for for some time. <laughs> I, I can't really see you getting. I can't really see Scott McTominay getting like a Neymar complex anytime soon. Um. But you know another another good game for uh, for him. Obviously doing man marking. Uh, the I don't know if you saw there was a, there was a thing that Mourinho had said before the game um, about trust. That, you know where they were, they were like, oh, the players maybe sometimes don't feel that you have that they have your trust. Oh, it's the other way around. Um, it's not up to me to trust the player. The player has to make the manager trust him. It's as simple as that. Um, which is uh, maybe was convenient for Mourinho to say in that moment, but I, d I don't think it's, it's it is as simple as that. Actually, I mean, a player can build up a manager, uh, or rather, a manager can build up a player with trust, as he is now doing with 
McTominay, even if it is maybe a little bit awkward for McTominay in the sense that he may maybe, you know, if he has been thinking about a situation beyond, wow, I can't believe I'm in the team. This is amazing, which is probably 90% of his thoughts. He may also be like, I kind of wish I'd gotten the team in another way as opposed to just being the guy who he's playing instead of Pogba because he's less than 5% as talented as Pogba. And I want to I want to really make a point to Pogba here so I'm going to play this guy who's like literally 5% as talented. Uh now of course they were playing in the same team the other day and I did wonder about that dynamic. You know, Pogba Mourinho talked about hum, uh, being humble. We need to have this humble mentality and that is he is requiring a lot of humility from Pogba here. If you're Pogba, do you how do you feel about McTominay now? Even if you're now in the same team, he's not keeping you out of the team anymore. You're back in the team. When you're looking across at McTominay, are you thinking, mm, yeah, you know, here's young Scott. I love playing with this guy. Or are you thinking, there's McTominay. I can't forget the time that that I was I was punked by being left out of the team for this guy. I mean, some players wouldn't be able to ha- handle that. So we'll see if um, we'll see how it goes with Pogba. Oh, what about the? Carabao Cup. We haven't mentioned the Carabao Cup. It's almost as though, I mean, Arsene Wenger said, the, I mean, the, the, he he pronounced the worst verdict on Arsenal's performance when he revealed. I asked the, the uh, was it the fourth official or the or the linesman why or the why they haven't played the correct amount of injury time. He said, "Why did you want more time?" <laughs> the fourth official did that to Arsene Wenger. Mean. I Come mean, it, they, they, they blew great. it. They blew it up early because it was. It was like, what's the point? We, you know, we all know. We've all seen what's happened here, um, and that was how that was how bad it was. And it was just so. It was like there was no game. There was there was nothing. City didn't have, even have to play well, you know. They just. It was so easy for them. Um, it was. It was really embarrassing for for us. I mean, it was worse, way worse than if they'd got knocked out. I mean way before this you know just just to be the the interesting thing though is they're playing again on Thursday I, I would not be surprised I wouldn't be surprised Fernandinho is going to be injured for the game I think uh, because he he had to come off and seemed to have done a hamstring and they're playing they're playing again and I was honestly wouldn't be surprised if you just saw this just this schizophrenic arsenal like, it's so random you know it's like where Ozil how can you play this badly but you know that Ozil is a much better player than that and maybe on Thursday he he turns up and plays plays really well. It did strike me when they were shipping the abuse from Gary Neville in particular <laughs> during mm. the game that exactly what you said there, whatever about the merits of winning these cups, and you know there isn't necessarily a huge amount. Certainly for Arsenal, I mean they need to do more than win cups these days. But it's definitely there's definitely a serious. They'd be a lot better off getting knocked out in the first round of the Carabao Cup than oh, getting because yeah. they're just not in the limelight. Then you're you're, you're not playing this match. Um, and this doesn't say much for the club or the team because you should be confident going into a final against anybody, but they're not. And there's always a danger they'll get exposed like they did against Man City. Mm. And then that all just feeds into the negativity and makes the atmosphere around around the place a lot more toxic than if they were just playing a Premier League game at the weekend. It's, it's finished. I mean, did you see the Sunday Times? Ian Wright. Ian Wright was in the Sunday Times saying... Um, and I, I just thought this was amazing. I mean, he... It's kind of an interesting situation Arsenal are in because every kind of big club has got like a, a little revolving cast of former players who uh, are in the media and are often on their matches because you want to get an Arsenal voice to talk about the Arsenal game. Uh, and it's the same with every club. And frequently the managers have problems with the the past, you know, the legends, uh, because, you know, they're like, oh, they're just always knocking the club or whatever. 
nearly every manager of a big club has at some point moaned about this. But Arsenal, Arsenal are in a weird situation where all of the legends actually played for Wenger. You know what I mean? He, he, it's the same manager. And they and, and also the odd thing is that all the legends had amazing times, had the best time of their career under Wenger. So it's like it's not like, say, Ray Houghton uh, saying, oh, this Jared Houdet, not sure about this guy. You know what I mean? Or, or David May talking about Louis van Gaal being boring, you know, or, or Scolzi. <laughs> you know, it's not, they don't owe him anything. But all these guys, all these Arsenal players kind of, Arsene Wenger is like the best coach of their career, or the, you know, the coach they wouldn't be they getting paid the by the media time. company that are paying them to say this without Arsene Wenger, well, the success they had under Arsene Wenger. Yeah, yeah. And, and so it's a weird situation. So even Ian Wright, Ian Wright obviously was a, was a major player at Arsenal before Wenger came, but, you know, also was there, was won the league with, with Wenger as well. Wright won the league with Arsenal in 91, I think. Yeah, that was his first season there. And then again in 90... Because he, he was at Palace yeah. in 1990, and then again in 98. So I think he, he did. But um, but <laughs> Wright said, uh, it's like watching uh, Muhammad Ali against Larry Holmes or Brazil's Ronaldo when he got fat. This is like what watching Arsene Wenger is like now. Watching like the the, the shambling, the, the Muhammad Ali in the throes of a neurodegenerative condition or Ronaldo... Like, fat, you know, so-called but not by us, Fat Ronaldo. Uh, that's, I mean, unbelievably harsh. In the same piece, he says, uh, I, you know, he, he was talking to Arsenal, Arsene Wenger during the 2014 World Cup. He's a fascinating man to talk to. He says he accepts whatever criticism I make comes from a place of love. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's very magnanimous. This is pretty scathing stuff from a, from a place of love. It's like even these guys don't feel like they, they owe anything anymore. Thierry Henry... I don't know if you saw him talking about it. There's another guy who feels like he owes he owes nothing. It's like, uh, you know, he's I can't get excited about these guys. It's just you just get you just get let they just let you down all the time. It's not even that it's you know that out of a sense of loyalty. It's like I can't get away with not being scathing here. I mean, I will be a laughing stock if I come out yeah. and say something even remotely positive about that's how bad Arsenal are. I can't, I can't do, I can't, I couldn't look myself in the mirror, let alone talk to the people who are paying me large amounts of money to give me, to, for me to give them their view, my, my views on football. Oh. I literally can't do it for the sake of my own decency and self-respect. Although there was, and, and he was, he was saying I couldn't because, you know, it would, it would be inauthentic and at the same time I couldn't help think, Thierry Henry, I don't believe you when you say, it pains me as an Arsenal man. It pains <clears throat> it pains me to see that. I'm thinking, Jerry, I don't believe you. I don't believe you're feeling real pain. I think you think you're a man who understands a thing or two about detachment. You know, you're able to look at this cold bloodedly. Um, I do wonder, um, you know, what I, I mean is. I, I feel that we're definitely in the last few months of thing. I don't think he will be the manager next season. The question is, who do they go for? beyond this point they do have a lot of former players they've got players like Thierry Henry Thierry Henry's a huge figure in the game he didn't ruin himself out when it came up yesterday he's got uh, coaching experience of course Roberto Martinez he's the Belgium assistant manager Uh, he's worked with the greats Kevin De Bruyne Eden Hazard all those guys Romelu Lukaku yeah Uh, why has he always got to be a former manager uh, well, I mean, Thierry Henry is a, is a great figure in the in the history of Arsenal. There is a statue of Thierry Henry outside the stadium. Um, I mean, there are others. There there are other potential candidates there from this uh, 
from all of these former players. There's Saul Campbell, who I see um, complaining once again that nobody uh, nobody seems to want to give him a job. Or, you know, they could do what I'm, I'm, I'm afraid they probably would do because the, the thing about Arsenal is that they are like... Uh, I mean, when you look at the, the board, when you look at the ownership of something, he doesn't seem to me like a particularly dynamic figure, you know, either in the sense of wanting you know, de- being demanding, wanting results. I want, I crave results, I crave trophies. He's clearly not like that because Wenger is still the manager. Or in the sense of, I want to do something innovative here. I want to try something new. I want to do something we haven't done before. I don't think he's like that either. I think what he is thinking is, I've got quite a profitable little business here. It's one of my profitable little, little businesses. It's ticking over nicely. Let's just get someone in who can keep it ticking over nicely the way that it has been. Before it, before it started to break down, we stopped getting in the Champions League. Let's get in. So what that means is appointing a name manager, you know, an Ancelotti or, you know, a kind of a, a safe pair of hands, established coach with proven experience. I, I think they're more likely to do that than to go with someone like Thierry Henry, who would be like a risky appointment because you haven't seen him do the job and there's no evidence that he can actually do the job. But, you know, maybe he could do the job. Maybe he could, and uh, I just feel it's an unlikely kind of a point for them to make. Pep. Well, Pep, we'll we just hear a little bit from Pep here because we're going to talk to we're we're talking to John Bruin and Jonathan Wilson. We'll talk about we'll ask them what, what they make of this. But it was like the big thing with Pep yesterday. This is his first trophy in English football. That's great. Uh, everybody delighted. Um, easy victory, but. Uh, he was wearing his, his yellow ribbon, his, his yellow ribbon for, uh, this is for the, the jail uh, leaders in uh, Catalonia, and, uh, well, it, 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 the FA have told him they're gonna, they, they're, they've charged him, and they, he can't wear it, and it's against the rules, and he turns up wearing it. So now you've got a situation where he's defying a direct um, instruction from the FA, which, although it seems like, a kind of a petty and silly instruction that maybe they'd be better off not giving. They're now in a direct confrontation where he's refusing to do a simple thing that they've told him he has to do. So where does it go from here? You know, this this is a, a kind of a face-off where I don't see how either either side can actually back down here. The FA can't just say, oh, it's okay, Pep. Actually, we're going to change the rules because it turns out that you have come into conflict with the rules. So we're just going to change those rules. Can you imagine? Can you imagine if they did that? <clears throat> the reaction. You know, we'd definitely be seeing a lot of handcuffs gestures from Jose Mourinho. So they can't do that. But equally, Guardiola is saying, it's, I'll never stop wearing it. I, I, I'll, there's no way I'm stopping wearing this. So, so where do you go from here? We'll just hear a bit of what he was saying because this is—he'd already been talking about it for a couple of minutes at this stage, and this is him kind of talking a bit more, filling in some of the reasons why he's wearing it. And then a question comes from uh, one of the journalists there, Rob Harris, which is a bit of a stinger. Do you, do you feel you should have that right to expression? Uh, before, before a manager, I'm a human being, so I'm a person. So I think in England knows very well what does it means. So you did the Brexit, you let the people bit an opinion, you you allowed to Scotland to make a referendum about if he wanna stay or not. So and after the people vote. That is what they asking. And they are in prevention jail right now. So go out and after maybe be judged, okay, but there are more than one hundred and forty five days, you know? Everybody's innocent until you know the judge 
proof you are guilty. And and they are not they are not be judged. They are there. So first try to be out with the families, but I know some of them and and try to be with their families and after with the judge or the you know, the court decide you have to be judged, okay. Everybody is going to listen their opinions. But I think they are accused for a, a very strong thing. No rebellion, sedition, it's, you know, <laughs> it's something special. They don't, we don't have weapons, it's just boats. So they didn't broke a window. So neither. So that's why, that's why I appreciate for Manchester City Fund the support. And, and But the same I said, your colleague, so I will accept for FAA decide about, about my behavior, but my behavior is not too respectful for anyone. It's just, it's just to, you know, to, to be part of something, the humanity. You've talked a lot about politics here, about political freedom, and you've talked a lot about Sheikh Mansour. Sheikh Mansour is a leader in the United Arab Emirates, which is criticised for not respecting freedoms and the right approach. Yeah, every country decides the way he want to live for themselves. And if he decides to live in that self, it's, it's what it is. I am in a country where the democracy is installed since, uh, since years ago and try to protect that situation. Mm. So, a uh, difficult one there for Guardiola. Uh, on the one hand... <laughs> I'm not sure how he's supposed to answer it, but... What he said doesn't really make... Yeah, every country just, it's just, you know, just the way it goes. Every country is run the way it's supposed to be run. You know, yeah. is it really, is Syria run in a correct and decent manner, for example? No. I, I don't yeah. know. I mean, the, certainly in the uh, the UAE, the state of which Abu Dhabi is a part, there, there, you know, there hasn't been, let's say, a referendum on yeah. form of government there and well you know maybe if they did they would they would say we 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 want this uh, absolute monarchy to continue <laughs> who knows that could that could well be the case um but you know there is there is a sort of uh an awkward uh, gap there oh well 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 the, well the question is the, i think what we'll get into a bit with Jonathan and, and John is whether you know is it? It's it's it is it is a kind of a formula for almost shutting down all, uh, all kind of political um, statements in a way. It's like, well, you know, you can't say that if you're not also saying this. Well, you know, actually, you can. I mean, not every. You know, Guardiola is here talking about something that he's that he's centrally involved in. You know, but on the other hand, given that he has been the one to kind of put his head above the parapet. I mean, that the that metaphor is literally where you know where the bullets are are flying, and um, he is the one who's kind of who's put himself uh, in in the position where people can now start to ask him about these things. You know, I mean, maybe the answer is like I haven't reconciled them. You know, I don't I I don't reconcile all my positions. I mean, do you or do you live in a completely internally consistent mm -hmm. life? Because if you do, you should um, you should. Uh, Maybe write a book about that. So it would be a really interesting state of mind to explore. Let's wrap today's report on sport, please. Good luck for everyone. And here it goes. Denmark, Republic of Ireland. When we look down at the Irish squad, it's not that many names that ring a bell. We have the slight of a hand 
in these two games. But I'll tell you something, he went down in my estimation when he said that. We have the slight upper hand in these two games. I've never heard so much rubbish in my life. Why do we have to listen to that garbage? We have not resorted to that. It's always tough to play any British, British, British team. Can I appeal to the British government to please leave our country? It's always tough to play any British team. A lot of things have been said over the last few days. Some of it slanderous. I mean, I actually was abused by Dane. Abused by Dane as well the night before. Come on, Ken. Is there a Wi-Fi? Uh, actually, we're just still on the 3G. Before we could finish explaining, we weren't actually on the Wi-Fi. He goes, Wi-Fi wankers. You're all Wi-Fi wankers. I think there's a certain amount of dead horse flogging when it comes to analysing miserable Arsenal defeats. But Gary Neville certainly was able to muster up some venom and some passion during the game yesterday. So we'll see if Jonathan Wilson and John Bruin can do the same. Jonathan, what do you reckon? Was there anything outstandingly bad about this performance? No, outstandingly bad. I don't think it's something we hadn't seen before. Um, I think what would make it particularly frustrating, and I think this was sort of a tenor of of what Wenger said afterwards was that Arsenal actually were were, were okay. You know, they they were holding City, they were frustrating City. City produced probably their worst first half of the season um, at Wembley, and yet they went in one 0 up because of an absolutely stupid mistake that no defender should should be making at any kind of level, and certainly not at the Premier League level. So I think Wenger, who's often criticised for not changing his game plan according to the opposition, according to the circumstances, had probably got it right. Play, you know, going back to the back three, which he hadn't played since the Bournemouth game uh, what five five weeks ago, just over a month ago. Um, you know, a back three that often was sort of uh, almost a, a 5-4-1. Um, that, that did seem to be bogging City down and, and they had had that chance when, when Bravo made the double save and they get undermined by just some utter feebleness from one of the many hopeless players they've signed. Ramsey, Xhaka, Ozil, you're walking on a football pitch at Wembley. You're a disgrace, an absolute disgrace, spineless. That's what Gary Neville said, John. What do you reckon? He wasn't the only one. Alan, uh, Alan Shearer said there was nothing from them at all, which I think in a less dramatic way, but <laughs> maybe a more profound way, is quite damning. Well, it, I, 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 think, I think the thing to say is that once that Mustafi uh, mistake happened, that Arsenal pretty much gave up the ghost. Perhaps it was the timing. Um, yeah, that, that's, I, I just... that is kind of one of the weird things about it. Because the last time I saw a mistake that pathetic, or in fact that particular mistake, was in the World Cup match between England and Germany in 2010 when it was John Terry who was guilty of doing a Mustafi. But at least England gave it a bit of a go. I mean, scored well... scored two goals, one of which was, was given, and, uh, and made a bit of a game. But there wasn't anything like that for Marcel. No, and if you remember, JT placed himself up front uh, to try and score to try and get the... Uh, Taking responsibility. Get, you just begin to wonder... I mean, Arsene Wenger, um, there's a lot of talk about what effects he has on his players within the dressing room. Some say that he doesn't really say anything to them at all. Um, and it, it, it's one of those things that certain people get a bit annoyed about this, but uh, who, who are the players within um, Arsenal's team who lead by example? Uh, leaders, in, in short. Um now, as far as I can gather, the only one sort of up for the fight uh, was Jack Wilshire. Now, one of the problems with that is that Jack Wilshire is a much reduced player from the player he might have been, and is reduced to this sort of 
remember Dennis Wise in his sort of later career when essentially all he did was just sort of kick people and was a provocateur. Mm. Unfortunately, Jack Wilshere has become that at about sort of 25, 26. It's very sad to see. But he was the only one sort of bringing, you know, some element of fight to the game. Um, and one of the problems is that, you know, with players like Ozil, who, who went completely missing, uh, and Ramsey, who's asked to do a midfield job, um, who actually is probably more of an attacking player, is that Arsene Wenger doesn't have the personnel to dig in in, in, in such matches. And I think, the thing is, we was looking ahead to that game and thinking, who's beaten Manchester City this season? That was Liverpool by essentially running the legs off Manchester City and winning 4-3, and Wigan defending deep and then uh, scoring a goal against a run of play and taking a chance. Arsenal were never capable of either, either of those game plans. So as soon as whatever game plan Arsene Wenger went, went wrong, where the plan that he had went wrong, it was all over for them. And it was, this, it was as if they knew it. Yeah. I mean, you know, it was, it was kind of such a predictable game and unfolded in such an expected pattern that it's, it's difficult to think of other things to say, unless you just to think of new insults to sort of heap upon Arsenal. So one of the things that did actually happen, which, which maybe does have potential to, to get interesting, uh, Jonathan, is... is uh, is what happened with Pep Guardiola's ribbon. I mean, this is this is something which has got nothing to do with the game, really. But he he had been told by the FA, oh, you know, we're charging you, stop wearing the ribbon. It's a political statement, and we don't allow this. <clears throat> he turns up obviously wearing the obviously wearing the ribbon. This is the Catalan ribbon. Yeah, his his so it's the yellow ribbon for the for the two imprisoned uh, Catalan leaders. Now afterwards, um, the subject obviously came up. Uh, in the press conference, Guardiola talked about, you know, I'm a human being. This is for humanity. Uh, there are four guys in prison, other guys who will be in jail. Um, they don't have weapons. Just It's just votes in the ballot. That's why uh, I'm, a, I'm a human person. Everyone's innocent until the judge proves he's guilty. He, he, he basically talked about, you know, I suppose, habeas corpus and uh, democracy and, and all these sort of principles. Whereupon one of the journalists promptly said, well, how do you square all that with working for uh, Abu Dhabi, whereas we all know the human rights record, uh, you know, has uh, there's quite a few, it's <laughs> quite a few problems there. So how do you how do you square those two things? Which, to which Pep replied, "Every country decides the way they want to live, and if they decide that, it's up to them." What do you think, Jonathan? I mean, this, this is you know, as we said, obviously it's 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 relevant to the game, but this does have the potential, I think, to get quite tricky for Guardiola. Yeah, it does, and I think. Part of the problem is he sort of turned the spotlight on his own hypocrisy. That I, I think most, well, I say I think most people, I, I, don't, I don't know what other people think, but what I think is that um, a blanket ban on political symbols on shirts probably makes sense. On what managers wear and what coaches wear on the touchline, I, I, I'm not really sure why we have that. We clearly don't have it with poppies, which are a political symbol, although the FA tries to pretend they aren't. What's the difference, Jonathan? Why, why, why is it different for managers and players? Because I don't know, there's something um, there's something sacred about the shirt, and the shirt is something the club gives you. It's, it's representative of the club, and so I think it's much less of a personal choice. And I think what I object to with with poppies on shirts is that I'm sure the vast majority of players don't think about it at all, um, but they're sort of being corralled into wearing that without really having agency over whether they they get to wear it. And then it becomes a huge issue when something like James McLean, who I think has every right not to wear it, says he doesn't want to wear it. And I don't think that's fair on people like James McLean, who I think have every right to um, choose whether or not they, they, they wear that symbol. So I think because it's on a shirt, it becomes sort of 
you have to opt out rather than opting in. Uh, I think on the bench, it's much easier to to opt in. Uh, you know, it, it, if you're wearing a, a, a jacket, you can pin it on a jacket, and that's your choice. So I think that's where where the difference is. Um, and I, I I don't really understand why. And UEFA's rule on this is you 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 are allowed on the bench to wear whatever you want, um, providing it's not overtly offensive. So I mean, I think we'd all, we'd all have a problem with somebody wearing a swastika, for instance. Um, but I, you know, I, I I don't see why we need to manage that until it becomes an issue with something that's explicitly offensive. Uh, so I, yeah, I, I don't have a problem with with him wearing the yellow ribbon. Uh, I'm not going to pretend I understand the ins and outs of Catalan politics enough to know whether I agree with with that cause. Um, but as soon as he starts talking about universal human rights and the universal right to a, to a fair trial and, and people jailed uh, without you know, without trial, then of course the question comes back: What about you back in Qatar for the World Cup? What about you taking money to be an ambassador for Qatar? You you you're, you are overtly an ambassador for a regime which does not have habeas corpus, and equally you are taking your salary from Abu Dhabi. And again, you know, I don't want to be too precious about that because in a globalized world. We're all, you know, all slightly hypocritical about this. You know, we all shop in big chain supermarkets who have links and investments that perhaps if we investigate them more closely, we wouldn't agree with. But when you when you start talking in those terms, then you, you have created that debate, you've created that discussion, and so it's entirely reasonable for you know Rob Harris in this case, the, the AP journalist, to turn around and say, well, hang on, how can you square that stance with with apparently supporting and apparently being okay with with these two regimes? Who, who do not back what we would, I think, understand as being a fairly basic human right. Is is it, John, do you agree that, that there's an element of hypocrisy there? I mean, you know, Guardiola is is probably the world's top Catalan at the moment. You know, he is, uh, he's making the stand on an issue that he cares about and that he knows about and feels that he has to say something about. Uh, does he therefore, you know, is, do you think that it is hypocritical for him to make that stand and not make other stands on unrelated issues, which may seem to, you know, uh, you know, be concerned some of the same principles, uh, you know, from from different starting points? I, I think, he, listen, yeah, if you're going to play the freedom fighter, um, then you would expect some kind of solidarity with or the freedom movements, and in, in saying what he did, the reply to, to Rob's question there um, was very wishy-washy. It was almost as if he hadn't really considered the issues at hand and only really knows about one uh, one particular freedom fight, that which relates to um, the, well, what he would call the country that he comes from. Um, I, th- I think if, if we go beyond Guardiola's own beliefs. I think this is problematic for Manchester City. Uh, Manchester City run a a very professional PR operation and often very helpful, very good. And um, but uh, they've had problems, um, not least with the club's um, FFP financial fair play problems. Um, recently, uh, some of the deals they've done. Uh, Girona recently. I've got, got myself involved a little bit with that um, a few months ago where there were a few questions raised over in Spain about that. The, the, the one issue that they can't shut down through their highly professional PR operation is this issue of Abu Dhabi and, and, the, and the human rights um, problems or 
perhaps even abuses that that we that, that uh, we know about over there. Um, and Pep Guardiola stepping out into the arena and talking about another political issue is only going to open them up to uh, those questions. And I don't really know how Manchester City deal with that um, because one of the reasons for um, Abu Dhabi buying into Manchester City, it is said, is to publicise the state of Abu Dhabi, further the, the, the cause of, uh, of, of that, that nation. Um, and this is problematic for them. I think there really could be problems along the way. I'd expect to see quite a lot of coverage of it. And actually, if you speak to fans of other clubs, they will often ask you, why don't you, why do reporters not ask enough or report enough on what's going on with, with Manchester City's owners? And this could be possibly a bit of a watershed moment on that. Yeah, it, it is. <laughs> it's exactly the sort of thing you can imagine that, you know, the Man City owners wouldn't want. And this, this, is, this is a problem which I'm sure they wish hadn't arisen. But it is difficult to see how they... How they uh, can how this how they get there's a what what the way out of this situation is, Jonathan? Because there's no way Pep Guardiola is going to stop wearing that ribbon. Like they will have to physically tear it off. He can't. He literally can't stop wearing it. You know, if this guy's in jail that he's supposed to be supporting, he can't take off the ribbon and sell out the cause just because the FA say. Actually, our rules, you know, if you check down through the sub clauses, there's a thing in here which says you can't do what you're doing. When, you know, clearly he can, he has been and, and can keep doing it. So <laughs> how do you think this is going to play out? I, I honestly don't know. And I think that's fascinating um, that I presume he gets fined and then he gets fined a bit more. And then he gets fined a bit more. But if they ban him from the touchline, that's that's a significance. Yeah. And then maybe he gets banned from a stadium. <laughs> I, don't, I mean, I don't know. Is he allowed to wear wear it in the stadium, but not on the touchline? I, I mean, I think this this is the problem with the FA's law. That the um, I don't think they've ever sort of considered the fact that they might come up against somebody quite as stubborn and quite as convinced of the rightness of, of, of the cause. Someone who actually believed in the political statement they were making, as opposed to just wearing it because it was it was Poppy Day or, or Laces Day or whatever. Or, or, or maybe the FA bungs the Spanish government to get get these people out of jail. I, I don't know. I mean, but, but would you put? Would do you think then? Do you see it as okay? This is this is an example of why the FA shouldn't legislate. You know, shouldn't have silly rules in in areas such as this where they could have problems. Or is it? Is this ultimately a problem of Guardiola's making that you know he's doing this and and it's a hypocritical thing for him to do? Uh, no, it's the FA's problem. I, I mean, just just to be, be absolutely clear, I don't have a problem with Guardiola wearing the yellow ribbon. I don't think wearing the yellow ribbon is itself hypocritical. It was the terms in which he couched that when explaining it, that he was talking about universal human rights. Well, if he was talking specifically about the Catalan issue, then I think it's less hypocritical. Hmm. Uh, it's still slightly hypocritical, but I think within in bounds that we sort of all deal in, as soon as he makes that a universal point, which is what he did, then he opens himself up to the allegation of, of hypocrisy. So I, I think he has every right to wear the yellow ribbon. I think he, he will keep wearing it. I think he should keep wearing it. And I think the FA really has no place legislating on that. Um, and I think the FA... And, 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 and the, the problem that, that the FA have is that I don't think there's any kind of public support for, for their stance. If, if he was wearing something that we all had a sense was offensive, like uh, you know, a swastika or some kind of BNP logo or something like that, then there'd be sort of general 
media and, and fan support, public support for the FA stance. But here they're just going to look, the FA, the people are going to end up looking ridiculous. And the FA are going to end up looking, I mean, I'm sure they don't, but they're going to end up looking as though they support detention without trial. Jonathan, uh, a couple of words on the big Premier League game of the weekend, and that was Manchester United's performance, particularly the performance. I know we've been uh, there's been a lot of gnashing of teeth about the Pogba-Mourinho relationship and trying to get the best out of him. But equally as important to Manchester United, I guess, is getting the best out of Lukaku because if he can play like he played yesterday more regularly, the, the, the onus on Pogba and the rest of the players <laughs> is lessened somewhat because he can carry that team, really. Yeah, he was superb yesterday, particularly in the second half. And, and that was a sort of performance, I have to say, I had not thought he was capable of. So something has happened. I don't know if, if Jose has found a switch that turns him on. If he has, great. Then you know he can go on. He can score another, you know, fifteen goals. Oh, the were you really, were you really that surprised? That? I mean, I'd seen him do do that kind of thing for Everton many times. I mean, the the crossing is something that he showed previously for Manchester United, but also for Everton. He, you know, if you ever watched him playing there, he he did that a good bit. You know, he obviously scored tons of goals for them. Uh, and the kind of the big the big run at the end. I mean, the kind of the, maybe the most thrilling moment of the match. That was something he used to do for for Everton quite a lot. What we were seeing was was kind of oh, this is the player that uh, they thought they were signing, rather than wow, I've never seen I've never seen this type of stuff from Lukaku before. Surely, I'm not sure. I've seen it against against a really top side for I me. Mean, maybe maybe the, the answer is that Chelsea aren't actually top side anymore. I suppose it's the FA Cup game when he played really well for Everton, a game, which was also against Chelsea, wasn't it? Um, that he produced a similar performance stuff. But I, I don't think he's consistently, or even inconsistently, produced that kind of performance against big teams. Um, and he, you know, he, he's, he's always struck me as a player who, um, when his confidence goes, you know, in a bit, bit in the same way that uh, bad Wayne Rooney, you could never quite conceive how he could ever be a great player. I, it was similar with Lukaku. When his confidence went, it really, really went. And I sort of, I don't know, maybe I just, I, I, I'd sort of um, settled into the mindset of thinking, oh, well, his confidence is low, he's not going to come back now. But maybe those two goals against Huddersfield have restored his confidence. Um, and, and I guess, I mean, I guess Chelsea maybe played in United's hands to an extent, maybe playing drink water in midfield meant there wasn't quite the dynamism there that, that would have been able to, to, to stop those runs. Um, but I, I don't think he's played as well as that in a big Premier League game before. I, 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 I certainly don't remember it. At the same time, though, John, this was the first time that you know players like Drinkwater, like Eden Hazard, you know, uh, like Alvaro Morata had come up against the team, including Scott McTominay. Um, I mean, the, McTominay has has be, been kind of almost uh, he he's like a sort of has been thrust onto the stage in a way which I doubt he himself feels entirely comfortable with as almost this the, the method by which Jose Mourinho has been able to punk Paul Pogba over the last while. Talk to me about McTominay, said uh, Mourinho last week after the Sevilla game. Why aren't we talking about how great McTominay is? And, and McTominay, Mourinho talked about McTominay afterwards in in terms... Uh, I mean, basically, the, the kids got everything... He hasn't scored a goal yet, but that's because because I've told him not to. Was more or less what Mourinho's the, uh, analysis of him boiled down to. But I mean, you know, so so he's not just a punchline. I mean, this is we're talking here about a about a young player with, with ambitions, a, kind of a slightly unusual player for for that sort of part of the pitch. You know, given his his huge height and all this sort of stuff. The question I have for you is: Do you think McTominay has the potential to actually be a good player? Is he a player who could? 
in years to, years to come be a, a fixture in the Manchester United team? Does he have that potential? Well, you, my, my instinct with McTominay is that he is the type of player who might have been, might have been sold for twelve million to Everton uh, somewhere along the line, or even if things started going really wrong. Though perhaps th- this wouldn't happen so much these days, but might have ended up at Sunderland or something like that. But I have to say, there does seem to be something of a player there. He has been around the first team uh, since towards the end of last season. Jose Mourinho clearly sees something in him. It might just be the height, because we know he loves his big towers uh, spread throughout the team. Um, uh, so, someone, so I think one of the, the people on Match of the Day yesterday pinpointed the fact that his pass played a big part, I think, in the second goal for Manchester United. It was. He played He played in Lukaku. Although I did also think, I think it was Alan Shearer, and, and I felt yeah. with Shearer that he was he was sort of he was sort of like, people are, are being a bit unfair to this guy. You know, he, he should be taken seriously. And was trying to find good things to say about McTominay. And, that, and the pass, sure, it was, it was like he clipped a 30-yard ball to Lukaku. And he was standing in like 10 yards of space because it was almost as though Chelsea hadn't given him quite the same attention that they might have given, say, you know, if it had been Xavi on the ball at that point. Yeah, yeah. And, and the thing is, though, oddly, he might be a, a, a Mourinho player because I've always got the impression in the midfield that Mourinho's like players that sort of get in the way. And I think that <laughs> McTominay's certainly good uh, at that. I think one thing you, you, you would say, though, is that uh, Nemanja Matic played his best game for United certainly in 2018 and definitely for, and also for a few months as well. Maybe playing against Chelsea raised his game. We, we don't know that. Um, and oddly, uh, well, and perhaps this is, you know, perhaps this is the mark of Mourinho's man management genius, is that we got a fairly disciplined performance from uh, Paul Pogba, notwithstanding falling over uh, for the goal that Chelsea scored the first goal when he sort of gave up possession, pounded the turf and then watched them run down the other end. But I think Pogba gave the type of performance that um, it certainly won't make too many YouTube clips reels, but Mourinho prefers the solid professional performance. So I, it's interesting to think of that, that midfield trio, which has certainly been hit on by accident by Mourinho, considering he wants to play Ander Herrera there. Um, and, and also, perhaps it was a solution. I think Sanchez spent a fair bit of time uh, on the opposite flank, which meant that uh, Pogba um, didn't have to uh, get through so many defensive... Ju- well, you know, the, the indiscipline that he did, doesn't like from those those two players wasn't so much of a problem. Um, I, was a, I was surprised by Manchester United yesterday. I actually thought they were pretty decent. Uh, as Jonathan alluded to, was it that Chelsea were bad? But I think you have to credit them yesterday. I think it was pretty much all round, once they'd gone behind, an excellent performance. Leave it at that. John Brew and Jonathan Wilson, brilliant stuff. Thanks, Mill. Cheers, thanks. Cheers. First of all, I'd like to welcome John Delaney here today. Trying to be critical as well being possible. Building a house, you build the foundations for us, the chimneys at top, the chimney for us. It's international football. As well, to, to, to John Delaney, you know, um... uh, the pleasure, the entertainment, the organisation, the skills that you take to everybody is fantastic. But if you don't have a chimney unless you've got a very strong foundation. One man, Ken, whose name I know you wanted to bring up on today's show. He's popped up from time to time. Mm. The figures loomed over European football for 
a number of months now. Diego Torres. Diego Torres. Diego Torres. I don't know what this is about. You just, you just. Ah, uh, come on, you, you know what it's about. Is he you said, for the Ballon d'Or? You this said year, Diego Torres, <laughs> the first man to break the Messi Ronaldo hegemony. Diego Torres writes in El País. More Neymar. Well, I want to just wait till he get a load of this. So, according to Diego Torres and highly placed sources in PSG and close to Neymar and close to Kylian Mbappe, PSG leaders have begun to consider the possibility of sacking off Kylian Mbappe to Barcelona in exchange for cash plus Felipe Coutinho. <laughs> Coutinho, who arrived in Barcelona like a few weeks ago, uh, is now uh, apparently PSG because they've their attention has been brought to an unfortunate situation in their squad, which is, according to Diego Torres and his sources, Neymar. Can't stand the sight of Gillian Mbappe. <laughs> <laughs> it's what we have here is a kind of a uh, we we have the evil queen in Snow White situation here is what Neymar is is more or less being accused of. Who is the fairest of them all? And the mirror keeps saying, "Well, have you seen this guy Mbappe? He is amazing." And Neymar has begun to get pig sick. Uh, so, but whereas Coutinho, whom Neymar calls brother and happens to be his best friend in football, would. Uh, slot in a lot better in his opinion than Mbappe. So, so what? Okay, so what? That's the basic story. Neymar jealous of Mbappe, wants rid of the kid, wants Coutinho instead. That's the basic story. What is the? What's the evidence presented? Is there any um, any evidence? Well, um, back in the day when Mbappe first joined, he declared he was subordinate to the desires of Neymar. I will do everything possible to help him win the golden ball. That was what he said then, but uh, as things have uh, as things have gone on, uh, a per- two sources: a person who works for PSG with access training and a footballer say that the last one to glimpse the conflict that was coming was Mbappe himself, naive and ignorant until recently of the jealousy he provoked in Neymar since they started training together in August. I mean, I just love this jealousy of. The, the faculties deployed by Mbappe in each game, in each training, you know, his, his skills, his manifest ambition and the self-assurance with which he treats the whole world made Neymar begin to monitor him, monitor him as dangers are monitor, monitored. A voice warns from the dressing room of Paris, Ney fears that Mbappe will shade him in the fight for the golden ball. <laughs> Can you imagine, yeah. by the way, what, what it must have been like for Neymar to play for Barcelona for so long? <laughs> You know, like how sickening that must have been. Because this is like, this is mad. Like, this is whatever happened to Baby Jane level mm. madness. Yeah, I don't know about this. Uh, I think I think Diego Torres might have finally overreached here. The fear of Neymar, according to the same sources, was reflected on the field. Uh, at first. Uh, no, for, first, because when Mbappe showed for the ball, he passed the ball uh, to him in an untimely way. Or, you know, to a less obvious place. When Neymar is an expert at precision passing. Then, since the 8 nail against Dijon on January 17th, he stopped passing him the ball. <laughs> well, that's not great. So, in the family circle of Mbappe, they confirmed it. On the day of the visit to Toulouse on February 10th, he made three perfect runs. Neymar denied him the ball. In the last minute of the game, on a counterattack from four against three, Neymar was able to put Killian through alone against the goalkeeper, but he kept the ball that lost it and kept the ball, lost it, and gave away a counterattack. And in the Bernabeu during the first half, the same thing happened. Only Alves didn't give him the ball either. So, Jacob Torreson sits down and watches the game. Alves isn't giving him the ball. Alves took 71 minutes to give him the ball in the last third. Give him the, gives him the ball in the first half. That's when PSG actually scored their goal from. 
Um, until minute 40 of the game, Neymar did not pass the ball to Mbappe. Again, you know, they're sort of playing a different sides of the field. It is against Real Madrid. I'm not 100% sure on this, but, you know, with, mm. the, with the testimony and, uh, and so on of the, of the sources, uh, a leader of PSG confessed in January in a confidential conversation, if Mbappe is better than Neymar, let's hope he doesn't show it yet. So, uh, so that's today's uh, story. Okay. Neymar, of course, unfortunately, um, is injured. He got stretched off uh, over the weekend. He went over in his ankle, kind of twanged his ankle ligaments, and it's as yet indeterminate how long that's going to keep him out for. But the Real Madrid game is in two more weeks, so uh, if it's a, if it's a bad one at all, then he's he's going to miss that. It means that his season, assuming they don't manage to overturn that deficit without him will end in, and actually maybe even more so, if they do overturn that deficit, they get Mbappe hat-trick, puts Real Madrid to the sword. Um, either way, uh, it looks as though things aren't going to go, things aren't going well. But the last person who's worried about all this, obviously, is Kylian Mbappe, just 19 years old. He feels strong. In PSG's locker room, they claim the signals sent to intimidate him collide with an impenetrable character. He's just like, whatever, bring it, bring it. That's it bring for today's it. podcast. Thanks, Murph. Thanks, Will. Thanks, Ken. Thanks, K1. Welcome back. He understands. If that, if that is Ken <laughs> over there. Oh, you've got one more on Mbappe. He understands that if Neymar denounces him for insubordination, Al Khalifi will side with his adversary. That's Neymar. But at the moment, it doesn't change. Thanks, K1. Thank you. Oh, and thank you, Ken. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.